I'm Joey Brannon. I'm the host today for the Axiom Podcast. Devin's got the morning off, and I'm here with Michael Corley. Michael and I have known each other for a lot of years, and uh, he agreed graciously agreed to, to give me a chunk of his morning so that we could talk about the nonprofit world that he spends the majority of his time in. So thank you, Michael, for being here, and welcome. Well, Joey, I appreciate it. This is an honor. <laughs> well, tell us, tell everybody a little bit about what you do and what's your story. Yeah, so... Um, uh, about 12 years ago, I got introduced to this whole philanthropic and nonprofit sector after having run a business and uh, a company and had no familiarity whatsoever with it. But as I, other than being on nonprofit boards, which I had mm-hmm. been on a number of boards, but on the other side of it, in the operational side, and just through experiences, relationships, and, and um, people referring me out, I built a uh, wake up one day and I've got a nice consulting practice <laughs> for non nonprofit strategy. And so I work both with foundations and with agencies, and primarily with the boards and senior leadership. So you've got this uh, really unique perspective of having been the the chief executive of a business and in the for-profit world and having you know all the operating responsibilities and leadership responsibilities there um and and really kind of like like you said being a board member and being a highly sought after board member and now in this in this role that you're in now seeing what those nonprofits look like from the inside as well as you know from the board member's perspective outside in and um, I got to believe that that's given you perspective that maybe people who've who've kind of grown up in philanthropy or they've always done like board development work or or been executives and nonprofits. Your perspective is probably a little bit different. How is that? How, how have you found that previous experience to come to, to bear in your work with nonprofits? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of does give me a different perspective. And, and, and I'll share a couple things with you. Um, Having been a former board member and when I'm counseling or working with boards, I can appreciate the fact that they're volunteers and they've got a day job to worry about. And most of them have organizations to run. So there are significant time constraints and pressures that had you not grown up in that environment, you may not fully appreciate. And, And so you've got to accommodate. You've got to work with boards accordingly. Now, on the flip side, with a nonprofit, they usually have a number of volunteers that we in the for profit sector didn't typically work with. And so you, you manage those a little bit differently, and I've been able to observe how, how that's done as well. So, yeah, so when you're dealing with volunteers, like there's not necessarily a uh, any, any kind of stick right, to be able to get. So we'll talk about that later. But you made a statement to me. We were having lunch uh, several months ago, which was kind of the impetus for let's get Michael on the schedule. And you said, uh, you said it more than once, you believe every business owner needs to be on a nonprofit board. Why is that? Well, I think it's a, it's a number of reasons. I'm a firm believer in that, and I advocate for that. And I would argue it's the best leadership development opportunity available hmm. for a number of reasons. You're inherently a leader because you're on the board. So you are a leader. You're leading the organization. You're working through a chief executive. You are setting the example for employees and staff. They're watching you. You get to make decisions in real time, real time leadership decisions, unlike a conference where you go to and you get trained and then now you got to come back and implement mm-hmm. with nonprofit board work. You are real time leadership experience. You can test things out that you may not want to in your business from a leadership perspective. You got to sometimes you got to have some difficult conversations with the d- chief executive. You've got some observations. How do you work through some operating models that you're not totally familiar with? So I think from a leadership development, I, w- I would argue it may be the best. 
The second, of course, is the contributions of the community. And what a fantastic way to leverage your skills. If you're running a, a company, you've got leadership skills. What a better way to give back to your community than using those skills through a nonprofit? I've never heard uh, somebody talk about the leadership development aspect of that. That's that's kind of fascinating to me. And I think when I think back through some of my board experiences, um, very few boards were alike. You know, they they all have their their very unique aspects. Um, but I think one of the things that was really helpful for me, uh, probably the first board that I was on, I was you know in my probably late twenties, mid to late twenties, and um, there was this whole like decision-making process, right? And it was like, you know, there's the Robert's rules of order kind of piece of it that you kind of get introduced to for the first time. Um, maybe you had some of that in high school, you know, I was like a senior class president. And so we we're like making motions and seconds, but we had no idea what we were doing and like getting into really like contentious things and calling the question like that, that was all brand new to me. And so there was the formality of it. And I saw the value in that. Um, but, but there was also, you, you brought up a couple things that uh, stood out to me as well, which was uh, I, my role, so in my day job, when I was working with business owners as a CPA, my day job was um, you know, basically like doing the work. And now I'm sitting on a board and I can't do any of the work. I'm not allowed to do any of the work. Even on a, you know, a board that has you know, volunteer board members, it's not a fiduciary board, it's more of a, like active volunteer board, you're still not allowed to do the things that they have to hire employees to do. And it was this almost disembodiment from the, the, the work and the decision-making and separating that. And uh, I would imagine that you see some boards that are really good at that and some that, that maybe struggle to have board members not jump in and do the work. But that's got to be a big piece of the leadership. Well, that's an ongoing battle. And it's a battle for the chief, chief executive or executive director, whichever title they're using. Oftentimes, and I've got a couple right now, that it's, I need my board to be more strategic, get out of the day-to-day. -day. Now, you're a board member, you can do that job, right? Because mm -hmm. you've got experience. Uh, or, and or if you're retired, you've got the time. Right. And oftentimes that becomes the challenge because it gives them something to do and they want to, to lend support. So there is a balance there. It's definitely forced delegation. You, you learn forced delegation mm -hmm. as the board. You, you're not going to do the work. You've got to figure out how to get the work done through others. You know, establish the policy, procedures, you know, approve those, and, and get the work done through others. And I also think it was a good operating model for me to look at um, another CEO. You know, so I had my boss in my job, and he was, you know, like the managing partner. And so there was a whole range of, like, partnership meetings that I wasn't privy to, and I didn't really get to see how decisions got made. I didn't. And when I joined a board, all of a sudden, um, I was kind of punching above my weight or I was in the deep end of the pool in terms of making decisions and then seeing how those decisions were carried out, maybe the, the following month or the following quarter when we got back again. And it was like, you know, because we go back through the minutes from the last board meeting and approve those. And, oh, yeah, I wonder what happened with promoting that person. or I wonder what happened with, you know, changing uh, the 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 uh, organizational chart, you know, the way that we did last time that, and a lot of that stuff, you're just bringing us, bringing it to us and saying, here's, here's what I'm planning to do. You know, I just want you guys to be aware of it. Um, on some of the bigger issues, we might be asked to, to weigh in and help make a decision. But um, it was really helpful for me to see like, you know, hopefully you're, you're on a board where you have a high functioning CEO, but it's really helpful for me to see, okay, I got my boss as an example. Right. And that's the, normally the closest thing we're going to see in terms of exemplary leadership. But now I've got this whole other avenue 
a person who doesn't see me as an employee. They see me as a board member. Actually, they, they work at my, <laughs> my pleasure, which is kind of interesting for mm-hmm. a 28 year old to be, you know, have a 55 year old CEO of a nonprofit and uh, you're sitting on the board development committee, have no idea what you're doing and, and maybe the executive compensation committee and have no idea what you're doing. So, uh, I, I hadn't, I hadn't considered, I, I guess when, uh, when we had that conversation, I, I was going more toward the public service. You need to give back. You need to take the gifts and the things that you've been given and steward those well and put them to use. But you make a really compelling argument for, uh, for younger people to get involved in board service as early as, as feasible so that they can get that leadership training. You really can't get anywhere else. Well, you, you just really encapsulate that beautifully. You, you, you go in, you're playing above your weight, right? You're fighting above your, your weight level because you're typically people on a board are much more ex- experienced and senior. So not only are you watching the chief executive, you're watching the board chair operate. Hmm. You're watching the board secretary operate, which are typically people older, you mm-hmm. know, like we are now and got some experience. And so you really, you learn through experience and, and observation. And then, then, you know, then the connections you make are just really robust. And from a professional perspective, it's invaluable. And, and I don't shy away from telling people, you know, if you need to look at it selfishly from that perspective, why not? Because you're contributing to the community, mm-hmm. you're getting involved. And if you're benefiting from, a, from leadership development, my gosh, that's just icing on the cake, which is why I go, well, I argue that's the best leadership development opportunity available to most people. Well, you've given me a whole new reason to uh, encourage my folks to be on board. <laughs> I mean, I just see so many so many lessons they can take away and either apply to their their professional career or use it with our clients and see what good leadership looks like. Um, well, we talked a little bit about there's all kinds of different kinds of boards, fiduciary boards and volunteer boards. Can you break that down for us? You, you know what they are far better than I do. Uh, what are the different kinds of boards? How do they differ? And, and do they differ in what they ask or expect of board members? Yeah, this is actually a really good question. I frame it into three boards. You've got a working board, which is typically a volunteer type board. Roll up your sleeves, get involved. You've got a fundraising board and governance or fiduciary. And, and what I've observed is typically a function of the size of the organization. So right now I'm working in a, with an extremely small nonprofit, and it's all hands on deck, a working board where literally the board treasurer is the accountant. Gotcha. For the organization, because they do not have the capacity to go out and hire somebody with that type of experience. So those are typically smaller in nature, and you can roll up your sleeves and get involved. Uh, and, and it's necessary in order for the organization to, th- to thrive. Then as the organization grows, typically you move more into fundraising mode from a board perspective. Now, these aren't linear. So, you know, everybody who's listening says, oh, my gosh, I want my board out there fundraising or being involved in fundraising. That is true, you know, across the spectrum. But if you're going to grow, you it's, it's scale, right? Mm-hmm. And so you start to scale based on the revenue you have coming in, whether it's through grants, earned income, whatever the case may be. And so that's a little bit different role, and that's a heavy emphasis where the board says, okay, our job is to connect the executive director or a fund development person with contacts. That's the board's job is to open up the door to grants, to donations, whatever the case may be. Then as an organization gets much larger, the board's role is typically governance or fiduciary providing that oversight. Uh, and I've been on a board with, with that where it's less, yes, you're still opening doors from a development perspective, but you're literally the oversight of the organization. And so heavy involved in the financials, because mm-hmm. typically at this point, the organization is a much larger size, much more obligation, much more impact in the community. And so somewhere in there, um, I, I encourage everybody to be involved in a little bit you, you, uh, of all those, because the experience is invaluable. Um, 
probably probably younger people will have an easier time getting into a, a working board, a volunteer board, sure. just by nature of, of what it is. Yeah, that was my experience. Uh, people find out you're a CPA and they're like, great, you're you can be the treasurer. <laughs> and so I had plenty of opportunities uh, to serve on boards as a treasurer. And it was like literally put the financial statements together or figure out uh, how how this even this particular transaction is going to make it into the, to the system. Um, so if, I think if you've got the technical, if you've got a kind of widely recognized technical skill, like uh, the other one is like attorneys. Like yes. Every, attorneys can always, because the board's looking for pro bono legal work. Exactly. Right? Um, what are some of the other areas you see working boards tapping kind of the expertise of, of the people who are on the board? What are some of those fun foundational skill sets? Which might be accounting and, and legal. What else? Yeah, accounting and legal, and maybe even programmatic, depending on what, what space that they're in. But oftentimes, expertise of a, a clinical person. If the organization is health-focused, that would be extremely important. If they're developing curriculum. Gotcha. Very important. Yeah, or if it's a uh, if it's the latest, you know, save the cats organization, we got a veterinarian, you exactly. know, something right. like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, That's that makes fair. sense. That's fair. Uh, what do you see? I'm interested to go back to those transitions. So, you know, if it is, uh, I understand it's not a perfectly linear spectrum from working to fundraising to fiduciary, but um, you've seen organizations kind of go through that transition. Where do you see? Uh, what, how do you see the board change and, and how do you see the CEOs change? Do they both have to change? Does one have a better chance of sticking around than the other? Are you able to do it all with the same group of people? What's been your experience? <laughs> well, it's, it's just like a for-profit business. You've got the entrepreneurs, the founders that start it, and are they the right people to carry it forward after they you know, pass that, that area of survivability? And so it's, it's no different in the nonprofit sector. It's based on the skills and can the, org, can the leader grow with the, skill, with the organization. I've seen that to be a, a very big challenge for those who have founded a nonprofit to then lead the organization going forward and doing it successfully. Uh, you've got the, you know, the founder syndrome that you see in the, in the for-profit sector. So it's mm-hmm. a challenge. Boards as well need to evolve and develop, and that becomes a challenge also because so many times people continue with the board for a number of years if there aren't term limits, which I'm a big fan of, of term limits, but that they linger around and that's, and, and you know this, it's, well, that's the way we always did it. Oh, I don't want, you know, I want to do this. I want to take care of this. And so the a highly functioning organization will recognize that the executive director and CEO has got to grow with the organization and that the board has to grow as well. And so it's a dance. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, I've seen uh, that can be a difficult dance because my experience on some boards, I'm, I'd say the majority of the boards that I've been on, uh, the CEO is the one who's doing board development, meaning the CEO is the one who's saying, hey, I've got, I met this, this person, I think they'd be a great addition to our board. And so you know, the CEO is bringing on people who are like-minded. And it, as the organization grows, it can be difficult for those board members to, to, you know, recognize, hey, maybe we're stretching our current CEO beyond their capability, uh, and you feel some loyalty to them, right? But at the same time, you're like, well, I'm not here just to to rubber stamp the CEO stuff. I'm here to for the organization. Uh, how have you seen teams, you know, board teams deal with that kind of that struggle? Yeah, I've been I've been in the middle of that a, a couple of times, and it is a big challenge. And so it's incumbent upon the board chair to understand and recognize that he or she has, a, has got the obligation and responsibility to guide that executive 
because ultimately that, that's who this, the CEO executive director reports to is the board chair. That's where the tightest relationship is going to be. And the board chair has got to be committed to that person's development, committed to implementing standard um, evaluations, annual evaluations, if not more than that, which is something most nonprofits don't do, mm-hmm. right? They, they wake up one day and go, oh, wow, we got an issue. We need to maybe even get rid of this person. You go, well, where's the performance reviews? Where Have you had a coaching session or two with them? Have you tried to develop them? And, of course, the answer is no. And then now you're really between a rock and a hard place because then you have to start that process. So it's no different than a for-profit sector right? in, in terms of that coaching and counseling. Well, when you, when we talk about, um, I want to go to that board chair role. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are when I you know my first involvement with a board, I was just a board member and then maybe a finance committee member. Um, again, because of CPA, they weren't quite ready to make me treasurer, but they're like <laughs> we'll let you sit on the finance meeting and point out things in the financial statements. Um, but when you when when you look at that, um, you've got board members and you've got a, a chair, a vice chair, a secretary, treasurer. Um, can you talk about those different roles and just like w- maybe what you see as, as best practice or, or best, what's the, what should those people be doing if they're performing that role well? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. It's going to be a little bit different for every organization, but I, I'm a big advocate of creating structure and processes and systems. And so the board chair runs the organization from an oversight perspective and, and is responsible for the success of the CEO. The vice chair is typically, depending on the organization, the, the board chair in waiting. So their role is to support the board chair and work with the other board members in preparation for he or she moving into that board chair role. Now, treasurer, obviously, is related to the financial aspect of the organization and has really an absolutely critical role because I found on most boards, nobody reads the financials. And so they really rely on the strength of the treasurer to have done his or her due diligence to make sure they're accurate. And depending on the size of the organization, it's a 990 filed right, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And so that's a real critical role for the organization um, because unfortunately people don't um, um, review the financials. Uh, Secretaries typically board minutes and then oftentimes governance. Uh, could be tied into where you might have a governance chair who's responsible for identifying board members, future board members, ensuring that the organization is following proper protocols and uh, you know living up to its mission statement. So is that the secretary? Or are you saying that could be a separate? Could role? be a se- it could be a separate. I've seen it both where you have a governance chair, mm-hmm. and when it's a governance chair, typically that person's responsible for identifying to assessing the board. What skills do we need? What do we don't need? What are the term limits? And when are people mm-hmm. terming out? And what do we need and how do we go find those people? That seems to me kind of to be like the graduate level of, you know, board roles and responsibilities. I can see where, and, and some of my prior experiences that really wasn't paid enough attention to. Um, but man, I think I look at all the train wrecks <laughs> that could have been avoided either because term limits, you know, we, we talked about them, but they never really got pushed across the finish line or that, or they were there and nobody was really in charge of enforcing them. And, um, you know, so, and, and just development in general, like what skill sets do we need? I, I think going back to one of the first points you made, like uh, there's a huge value in a board, especially a, a, new, a board of a new organization saying, well, what kind of board are we? Let's mm-hmm. just get intentional about, okay, we're a working board or, or we're a working board now and we're trying to become a fundraising board and that's going to require a different composition of board members and we're going to need some workers and we're going to need some some people who are raising money and i think that's an area where i've seen boards uh, struggle to make that transition because they they want all their board members to be 
to be bringing in more money to help the organization with this budget. But at the same time, they've got John over here and, and John is the best treasurer we've ever had. He's 28 years old. He knows the financials backwards and forwards. We can call him anytime, day or night, and he'll jump into QuickBooks and help us. But John's got a new baby at home and he's not going to be able to give more than maybe a thousand bucks a year. And we really want board members who are going to bring in 20, 30, 40, 50,000. And making that transition of asking for financial commitments from board members is something I've seen. It, you know, it's uncomfortable. It's mm -hmm. just one of those uncomfortable, it feels like a growing pain that you got to get through. And a lot of, I've seen several boards not make that transition, right? It's like, well, we, we asked and we kind of got some pushback. And so now we just don't, we don't bring that up anymore. We're going to hire a grant writer or we're going to hire, you know, somebody to, to go find the money from somewhere else. Well, you're right. And, you know, I often challenge uh, folks in the nonprofit sector. We're, we're too nice. You are running a business, right? The only difference is your tax status. I mean, you still got to have revenue. Mm -hmm. You still got to deliver results. And if you want to grow, you got to have the right leadership in place. And, and as you were talking, Joe, I was thinking, you know, the organizations that I've seen be very successful as they've evolved, they got very strong leaders, executive directors. I mean, people that are good. Mm -hmm. And you see that. And, they're, and they may or may not have been the founder, but they're just good leaders. And they're willing to challenge and, and lead the board into – the, the future saying, look, we're going to have to expand. We're going to have to have a different composition. We, we've got to implement these term limits because that's one easy way to get, have people roll off, right? Uh, and, and, we, and we've got to have this type of succession in place. So the, the most, you know, there's no, there's no replacing good leadership. Yeah. When, uh, I'm going to go back to Man, benefit, and I'm seeing, I'm starting to see so many benefits to board membership mm -hmm. I didn't see before. One of the biggest being, uh, you just talked about, it's just like a business. The only difference is it's not profit, which means statutorily means nobody can own it, right? There's no shareholder. And, um, and if, if it ever disbands, like whatever assets are there kind of have to go toward a charitable purpose. They don't go in the CEO's pocket as a severance package or board members don't split it up and, and take it home. And one of the things that in the for-profit world we're working on with business owners a lot, it seems like all the time, is this distinction between when do I put my ownership hat on and when do I put my employee hat on, right? And so because they're in the business, they have operational roles day in, day out. And maybe one of them is a CEO, right? So he's got a CEO hat. And the other one is a VP of such and such division. And, you know, one owns one percentage, one owns the other. Maybe there's three. And they have these operating responsibilities. But they're also in the middle of a workday, they're making ownership decisions, right? And they're usually not very good work <laughs> ownership decisions because, because they're making decisions that um, – that they really need to, okay, I need to step away. I need to talk about this with my other partners, my other owners. And I think uh, what a nonprofit board can do in stark relief is highlight the difference between what ownership conversations look like, even though a nonprofit's not an ownership mm -hmm. venue. But the people who are on that board are basically charged with stewarding the organization the same way an owner would be. And it, it helps me to see... Uh, a good living example of what does it look like to have some intentional time that's set apart from operations. I'm going to convene this group of people. Uh, we're going to have a, a very uh, different structure than what we might have if we're just getting in the conference room to solve a problem. Like we're reviewing minutes, we're reviewing financials. We we have a um, we we have this structure for putting issues on the table. There's an agenda. The agenda has to be there ahead of time. There's rules for what can make it on the agenda at last minute or what can't. 
and um, and it's interesting. Like Robert, we were talking about Robert's Rules of Order, uh, which you know, f- for a lot of people, just kind of seems perfunctory and and too formal. But you've probably seen situations like I have, where man, they when you need them, they are incredibly valuable, right? And it's almost like if you don't have them in place when you need them, they won't do you any good. Like if you haven't been following them for a while and you've got you've had that structure and you've stuck to it and you've had good governance. Uh, when you get into contentious issues, like super, con- like this could split the organization or this could split the board, and just having that structure where people's voice can be heard, there can be vigorous debate. But at the end of the day, we make a decision. That whole idea of I need a motion, I need a second. Now we're going to have discussion. Now we're going to vote, and that's that's it. Like that's final. And one of the frustrations I think that a lot of business owners who might be listening to this have experienced is, yes, I've. I've met with a partner. I've had vigorous debate. We've been on two sides of the issue and we left the room without making a decision. And that just can't happen in a well-run nonprofit board, right? It's like you, you, you either table the motion, which means like, we're going to, we're going to leave that there and we're going to pick it up later or you vote on it and put it to bed and move on. Well, there, there's so much in what you just said. And, and, it's like any organization. If you have structure and processes in place, it creates the ability for creative thought and discussion, right? Great. So if you know that. how to operate, Robert's Rules is a perfect example. If you know how to operate within that, it gives you a framework for decision-making, for discussion, mm-hmm. and appropriate discussion. So it doesn't get heated. And if yeah. it does, you've got a time, you know, all, all those things. I, I do also believe it's, it's the... Well, you were touching on an owner. I thought one of the benefits of working in a, working with a nonprofit is it does teach you patience, and, and uh, because you can't just make a, a decision by yourself if you're a you know a business owner, yeah. you do have to work through a team. So it, yeah. it does create that environment. And if you really want to know what patience looks like in Florida, join a board that's in the sunshine, right? Where <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I've worked with that's a, couple a topic clients. for a whole other podcast. That, probably that's uh, a law with good intentions, but oh, good lord, yeah. it's it's challenging. And so, in in short, for the listeners, it doesn't allow the the board members to speak to each other between meetings. You no. literally cannot talk to each other about board business between meetings. So think about that. You've got an issue. You want to call up and ask an expert. I want to call Joey because this is a financial issue. I want to say, educate me on debits and credits. I can't do that if I'm in sunshine. Right. Yeah, it's it, we both served in those capacities, and it's a uh, it's a different experience. Right? It is. So I I think we resonate with a lot of the good intentions, execution. It doesn't seem to work nearly as well as as they want it to. Um, you know, when I, one of the things when I was young professional, I was encouraged by my bosses, my partners. You know, get involved in the community, get get on a board, uh, get get involved in a committee on the board or something like that. Um, and and they really didn't do anything other than say that. You know, <laughs> it was kind of like I could look at the boards they were on and and go, okay, not those, right? Because and but honestly, like those boards were so out of my league, right? As a 26, 27 year old, I'm not I'm not going to be invited to sit on the board at United Way or Boys and Girls Club or or the, the Van Wazel or something like that. Um, but it, I, what I wish I would have I wish I would have been given a little bit more. Uh, council direction before I was just kind of thrown in because I wound up on some boards where um, I, I when I did did not know what I was doing uh, didn't know what the organization did and I was just a, I was just willing and able and 
while that's admirable, I think those organizations didn't get out of me what they could have gotten out of a better board member. So what would you, what advice would you give a young professional who might be, who might be feel the call to get involved in a board, or it's kind of a directive they're being given by their, their bosses of like, Hey, you need to get involved in the community board service is a great way to do that. I think the first thing you want to do is find an organization. It's addressing an issue you're passionate about. Cause even, even if you don't have a positive board experience, at least you feel good about, Hey, I'm helping dogs, I'm helping kids, whatever the case may be. And when you identify those, and there's there are ways to find those very easily, and then it would, I'd suggest go volunteer in an event. Mm-hmm. Go observe an event. Meet the executive director. You know, nobody is too high up that they're not going to respond to even a young person coming in saying, hey, I might be interested in serving on the board. I can't imagine envision any executive director saying, beat it. Yeah. There's always that interest because they're always looking for, even the next generation, and I tell you right now, especially in our area, Joey, if you're younger, if you're in your 20s, 30s, because 30s is younger, 20s, 30s, people want you on the board because that's diversity. Because mm-hmm. most of us are like we are, you know, in our 40s, 50s, 60s. And so they're looking for younger people. And also as it relates to social media, that's become the how do we do social media? How do we really leverage and take advantage of it? And there's this understanding that younger people understand, you know, can, can help w- uh, with an organization do that. I like the, I love your suggestion of go to an event, go volunteer, uh, because I think the areas where I, I really failed uh, to, to be a great board member were situations where I did, really didn't know what operations even looked like. You know, I, okay, we do this in the community. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just a line item on a, a profit and loss report, you know, or a statement of activities. And um, well, that's program serv- That's in the program services category. Okay, but I don't, I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what the people look like that are benefiting from this. I don't know what our quote-unquote customers look like. I don't know what our employees or our volunteers look like. And so you, then you get into board meetings and you start talking about maybe the CEO is just giving an update, president's report, and it's going completely over your head. And then you get in later in the year and you start talking about budget and well, we really need to ramp this program up or cut this program back. And you're like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about because I literally don't know what we do. Yeah. And that can be solved by being a volunteer first. Well, well, again, and also being a volunteer when you're a board member, it's incumbent upon those who join boards to really understand the organization. And it's, it's like we, we've been told all throughout our lives, you're going to get out of it what you put into it. And so as the oversight as the, the leader of the organization, it's your responsibility to commit the time to go learn and understand what the organization does, to meet the clients. Hopefully they do that during board meetings, but that's not always the case. But who are you serving and why? Mm-hmm. That's great. Uh, one of the things that uh, as I, uh, you and I both, you know, got some gray hair, your, <laughs> mine's on my chin, yours on the top of your head. Uh, but as I've gotten older, um, you find out that there's really, there's no end to the board opportunities that are coming your way. If you raise your hand, you know, three or four people are going to be like, yes, we'll, we'll take it. So, um, we're encouraging, let's say we're encouraging business owners who really haven't taken up the mantle of board, uh, ownership. And I think, this is very common in the types of clients that Axiom works with, where um, they they were operators and then they became business owners. And so they've had work in the field and they came out of the field and into the office when they started running the business. And now they've got people in the field. And it's different than coming up as a CPA in a public accounting firm where they're like, we'll give you up to two hours a week, you know, during the lunch hour or, or morning to do board service because we think that's important to your professional career. These business owners are like, where am I going to get two hours? Like every lunch is spoken for every. And so they have to be very, um, maybe they want to do it, 
but they're saying, I got to be very judicious about where I spend my time. How do you choose where to serve? You, you kind of said, choose something you're passionate about. That's, that's helpful. Um, but let's go into some other things like how many boards is too many? Um, how much time should they expect to set aside to, to really be useful? Like how do they find that information out? What would you suggest? Yeah, well, and I love this because to go find a board, yes, what you're passionate about, but also what may complement your business. I'm not bashful about this. I think if you're a business owner, you should look at this from as also a tremendous marketing and networking opportunity hmm. and frame it from that perspective. Yes, you're doing good, but if it benefits your business, wow, all the better. And benefits it, whether it's through sponsorships or, gosh, you get to meet these 10 people, on 15 people on the board that, you know what, relationships evolve. So I'm not bashful about that at all, encouraging folks to do it. And I see some folks in town doing a really nice job of sponsorships and, you know, donations that way to get the company name out. Hey, I, I think that's wonderful. I think, but you want to be cautious that I would encourage, I don't like anybody being on more than one board. I just think you split the baby. You can't focus and give 100% hmm. if you have more than one board, especially when you're running a business. It's just it's really unfair. I know some people disagree, and that, that's fine, but I've just seen it where we need somebody's complete focus on this organization, and if they're distracted with another event, with raising money for another organization, how do you, how do you prioritize? Yeah. And, and I think from a time perspective, of course, you can have a, a monthly board meeting typically, so that's an hour and a half, two hours. There are some that exceed that, so you'll want to ask – as you're, as you're being interviewed and as you're interviewing a potential entity to serve on the board, you'll want to ask, you know, what is the time commitment? Am I expected to be at events? How many events do you have? Can I pick and choose? You know, what's the role of the board? Uh, just really have a firm understanding when you go into it because there will be a time commitment and you typically ebbs and flows. There may be one month you do nothing and then next month there are a couple events or something comes up and you, you, you have to spend a few more hours in, in addition to the board. Yeah, yeah there's, there's a, you make a good point on um, interviewing I think it's important. It's important for me to know, am I going to be able to spend time advising as a board member uh, versus doing other stuff? And a lot of that comes down to like very kind of ticky tack things like what is the organizational skill set, uh, a time and task management skill set of either the chief executive or if it's a large enough exec uh, organization whoever that liaison is with the chief executive and the, the board members, because simple things like I, I can tell you if there's a board meeting on Wednesday and I get the board packet Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday morning, I'm not going to be prepared. Right. I just, but if I could get it a week ahead of time, I've got no excuses. I can schedule enough time, but that's as simple as that sounds. I found that to be a pretty big ask in some organizations to, to just, like the other thing is like schedule meetings. Can you schedule all of our board meetings for the next year at the same time so that it's already in my calendar and I'm not scrambling to try to, to find holes or move other commitments around. It's just simple things like that, that I think go a long ways to making board service effective. And those are great questions to ask because if, if the response is, Oh, we get the board packet that morning, that gives you insight into the operational efficiency of the organization. And I tell you, if you're getting that board packet the morning of, there are other things that are last minute. So is that something you want to be party to? Or at least you know it going into it. Mm -hmm. And so I think those are critical questions. You know, you, you interview them as much as they interview you, maybe even more if you're being asked to, to join a board. Yeah. Uh, you've seen a lot of boards. You've helped a lot of boards get through some pretty crazy times, I would imagine. Um, 
I think it's probably, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to serve on a board when the budget's, you know, exceeding last year by 20% and then we're growing and everybody wants us, you know, to come to the dance with them and, and, and it's a very favorable time. But um, what would you say are the traits of a great board member when we're in difficult times, when things aren't rosy? Well, I, t- I tell you, the most difficult time I've ever had is when there was a, an obvious need for a CEO transition hmm. and, and not by that CEO's choice. And so that becomes really problematic. It's, it's like with any organization. And then it really, it harkens to strong leadership skills. It's recognizing the challenges, articulating those with your fellow board members, building consensus. Do you implement, in this case, a, a coaching training program in hopes, you know, so put on a performance plan? Who monitors that? And now, now you're looking at spending a lot of hours as a board chair or a board member. And that's where I think most nonprofit boards fail to do their, their fiduciary responsibility is they go, I, I just don't have time. Hmm. And it's unfortunate because the organization suffers, the mission suffers, and then the donors are impacted because it's their money going to a, you know, getting a less than positive return than they could have. So it, it really goes, goes back to the, the leadership and understanding how to work with people to accomplish an end. Yeah. What, what in your mind is the role of who, who's the person who calls out the board member who's not prepared or who's missing meetings or as you know just like obviously that's a board chair's responsibility okay. now the, because and the reason is board chair will often say well that's ceo's responsibility well no that's the ceo's boss right so you've got that dynamic it's really the board's chair to manage the board and i've seen very effective board chairs do that more than not that is not the case they'll just show up for the meeting and, and talk to people but yeah, if people aren't prepared, if they're not contributing like they should, whatever dollar amount it is, it may be 25 bucks, whatever the organization said, if somebody does not contribute, the board chair should get on the phone and call that person, explain that's an obligation responsibility of being a board member. What are some of the, um, if, we, if you consider like tools in the toolbox of a, board, a good board chair, um, what do you see, let's park on that for just a second, like what do you see... Um, if like, let's say that I'm, I'm a vice chair, right. And I, I know my turn's coming at, at the end of this two year president's term or chair's term, I'm going to be the one who's going to be expected to accept a nomination in that seat. And I'm probably going to get it. Cause I know everybody else on the board. And I say, Michael, like, what do I need to, what are the skills or what are the tools that I need to have? Or what are the things that you would tell me to do to be all I can go on is the board chair that I'm seeing now. I'm not saying they're doing a good job or a bad job. I don't know because they're the only one I've seen. What, how could I be the most effective chair in my two-year term uh, coming up? Well, I, I would start with relationships as, as basic as that sounds, but I'd meet with every – I'd take every board member out to lunch and just establish that relationship because you will, there, will, there will come a time during your tenure you're going to have to bank on that relationship mm-hmm. with, with them. I would also start meeting with the this executive director and the board chair just to observe the dynamics there, sit in on their meetings. They should be meeting at least once a month, I would assume, outside of the, the board meeting. And get a um, uh, understand the rhythm of the organization, what I mean by that, and it's what we talked about a little bit earlier, are, what's the meeting schedule? What's, get, get all those processes in place so you don't have to worry about those. Are the meetings scheduled out 12 months? Are you getting the board packet earlier? If there are things you can do to impact that, because that'll just free you up from having to do that when you become the board chair. 
That's great. I love the relationship side. Uh, it, it's it's absolutely critical. I cannot, and and you know, I did it after watching somebody do it that took me out to lunch when I was a you know a young board member because he was going becoming chair and just think, wow. And, and that relationship is you know, good lord, that was probably fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, and <laughs> the relationship hasn't faded. But it was really important because there comes a time that he needed to pick up the phone and call me. And we'd, we'd establish that trust. You weren't starting from zero. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so when a new board member comes on, so that would happen under your tenure in this example, is take if you haven't, take him out to lunch or her out to lunch. That's great advice. Uh, requires some intentionality. I'd say for your board member, if you're going to be the board chair, like I, I think all the things you said just get, the volume gets turned up to level of 10, like one board. Like you re, if you're going to be the board chair, give that one board everything you got. Don't. Don't be a board member, even if it's not in a, an officer capacity. Just commit yourself to that one. And um, one of the things I appreciated, uh, Devin, who you know, he's one of my colleagues here, and um, he was asked to sit on a board, and he came to me, and he said, um, "Do will I have the time to do this?" And what what he was asking for was permission, right? He's basically saying, "Well, is it going to be okay with you?" If you see on my calendar these chunks of time that are committee meetings, board meetings, prep time, and uh, are you going to be good with that? And it was I didn't answer it lightly. You know, I thought about it, but I mean, he did himself a huge favor by having that conversation on the front end and getting me to say, yeah, I, th I think this is going to be great for for you, for Axiom, for the organization, and then. Uh, as the year went on and I saw those times, I was like, ah, another board. But I did say this was important, right? And so he had my full buy-in. And I think for him, it allows him to spend that time fully present rather than worrying about, I can't put one more issue on the table. I can't extend this discussion. I got to get back to the office. Or I really need to, I loved your point about meeting other board members. I, I'd love to go meet with these board members, but I've already spent four hours, five hours this month. I can't do that. And so uh, I think being clear, like what are my time commitments, clear that with whoever I need to clear it so I can be fully present and they'll be okay with it. Absolutely. And that's wise how he did it. But also it's an investment by Axiom in his leadership development. And and for you as the owner to look at it like that, that, that helps soften the blow of him being mm -hmm. out of the office quite a bit. But it really would make a difference. And I would encourage you as you have meetings with him on a, whatever basis it is, ask him, what are you learning? What are you doing? What are you observing as it relates to that leadership development opportunity? Yeah, that's great. I will take that advice. Uh, I think that's important. So let's say that uh, somebody out there is listening. They've never sat on a board before. They decide to, to heed Michael's call, and they're like, I, I get it. I see the leadership benefits. I see the business benefits. I want to give back to the community. I want to serve on a nonprofit board. What would you tell them to do next? Yeah, if, if, it's the, if it's the individual who wants to serve, depending on the, on the level, it doesn't matter on the level. Again, it's fine. If you just start looking, you'll see nonprofits everywhere. What, what, are you excited about healthcare? Are you excited about dogs? Are you excited about kids? And start to narrow down where your interest may be. What are other? Talk to your business colleagues. What boards do they serve on? And just from that discussion, you'll have a number start to raise to the level. And once people understand you're interested, you'll start getting calls. And you can certainly reach out, as we discussed earlier. What's your thought on? I've been on boards before where uh, somebody moved to the area. And they basically started soliciting the board for membership on the board. And that, and for whatever reason, that didn't go over so well. Is that, how would you tell people to approach? Is it better just to kind of signal your interest 
and wait for the call or should you just should you not be worried about i'm gonna say hey you guys have a spot on the board i like what you're doing i'd like to serve well i think a lot of that's the culture of the area we're in and and, and that it's person true. was probably from a different part that that was very accepted uh i think i would be taken aback a little bit by that here i like developing the relations i would encourage develop relationships reach out to that executive director because if that executive director is smart they're gonna say well yeah, i'd love for you to volunteer why would you immediately yeah. think you're going to jump on the board unless you've got a whole bunch of money, which is a whole nother discussion, uh, <laughs> right? Because right? that does happen too. Yeah. Well, I think if you're on a if if I'm on a board and I'm approached by somebody at lunch or coffee or whatever, and they say, "Tell me about what you're doing with this organization. What's been your experience as a board member?" Eventually, in that conversation, I'd be like, "Why are you asking?" Mm -hmm. Right? And you'd be like, "Well, you know, I want to give back. I want to be involved, but I want to I want to plug into a place that I can make a difference." You think I'm not going to go back to my board chair and be like, hey, I got a name right. for you. Let's put them on the short list. Let's look at this when a, another term limit expires or something like that. This is somebody we want to talk to. Indeed. I think you're right. If you just signal the interest, you're not going to have any problem getting that phone to ring. Yeah. Michael, this has been a ton of fun. I learned way more about that. The leadership component of this is really has me excited. And it has me excited, uh, I'll tell you also, from... I look at our clients and I look at some of the young leaders we have in managerial positions of their clients and I'm like... Why aren't those people on boards? Why are we limiting their exposure to decision making, uh, debate, um, you know, seeing good management, getting to know other colleagues? Why are we limiting that to our four walls in this business? Let's send them out there and give them, you know, some hours every month that they they know that they're not inconveniencing us and and we're okay with them serving. I think this is huge. You know, back in the day when I got out of college, there were leadership development and management training programs within the organizations I worked. Those have all been dismantled. Yeah, so point. if you're if you're young, how are you going to learn? Yes, you can go to a conference, and that's important. Yes, you can read. That's really important. But how do you get real-time, face-to-face experience? And barring serving on a nonprofit board, I just have not seen something as, that has the highest rate of return. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing with us. Uh, I'm excited to put some of this stuff into practice with Axiom, with our clients. Thank you for being generous with your time. And uh, w there's a there's a whole lot of other things that I kind of like to unpack. We'll just have you back another yep. time to do that because you and yep. I have a lot, of, a lot of fun talking shop. Yep. I, I appreciate it, Joey. Appreciate the opportunity. All right, guys. We'll see you back next week. Thank you.